welcome to the In Development Podcast. My name is Lilith. And my name is Allison, and this is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how cities develop in and up. We're presented by IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. In today's episode, uh, it's a deep dive into the zoning bylaw with a dynamic duo from the city of Edmonton. We have Darby Kinney and Lila Peter. Darby Kinney is the strategist for the zoning bylaw renewal initiative with the city of Edmonton. She's a proud alumni of the University of Alberta's School of Urban and Regional Planning and has varied experience in both the private and public sectors. Prior to joining the zoning bylaw team, Darby worked in heritage preservation, government relations, and worked on the 2018 infill roadmap. Darby also has a keen interest in local planning issues, consistency, uh, consistently seeking innovative solutions to shape more vibrant and sustainable communities. And our second guest is Lila Peter. She's the Director of Development Approvals and Inspections at the City of Edmonton. Her team focuses on issuing development permits and licenses, overseeing compliance activities related to the zoning bylaw, lot grading, and landscaping, as well as leading on related policies. Her role is interdisciplinary. She often collaborates with city teams like planning and development, infrastructure development, waste, community standards, and housing programs. She loves working towards building a more equitable and responsive community and learning from diverse perspectives. Her fascination with community and exploring what makes them function and thrive has led her to living and working in three countries, Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom. So in today's episode, we talked all things new zoning bylaw. We talked about what's changed uh, since 2023, um, the outlook for 2024, and key considerations for our listeners who may be submitting applications under the new zoning bylaw for the first time. Yeah, and we've got some definitions that we want to go through um, for terms that came up during our conversation. Uh, so the first one is a permitted use. And permitted uses are those uses within your zone that if you meet all of the applicable regulations in the zoning bylaw, you'll get your development permit approved as long as you meet all of those requirements. And then the second is discretionary uses. And those are uses where the development planner who's reviewing your development permit application has discretion on whether that application gets approved or not based on the other contextual factors related um, to your application. And a fun fact for the listeners, uh, they don't call them development officers anymore. The new zoning bylaw defines them as development planners. Thanks for pointing that out. In a way, another definition. <laughs> Um, okay, and then we've got two acronyms to go through. So the MNO and the MSO. So these are the Mature Neighborhood Overlay and the Main Streets Overlay. So in the previous zoning bylaw, these overlays had regulations that applied in addition to the zone regulations. Um, but during the zoning bylaw renewal process, both of these overlays were retired and some of the regulations from those overlays were integrated into the new zones. Uh, and another definition that came up from Darby and Lila is uh, what they call GBA+. So GBA+, stands for Gender Based Analysis+. Plus. It's a tool that the City of Edmonton uses in order to educate their staff in how to approach uh, the process through an intersectional uh, lens. There's a toolkit that, the toolkit that they mentioned in the podcast, uh, and it's essentially a toolkit uh, for GBA Plus that allows educators to to educate employees on um, how to take intersectional approaches in uh, different parts of their jobs. All right, thanks, Lilith. Without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Darby and Lila. Welcome to the show, Darby and Lila. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about uh, the zoning bylaw. But before we get into the main discussion, we just want to learn a little bit about who you are. So Darby, can you can you tell us about yourself and your background at the City of Edmonton? For sure. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Uh, I am the strategist with the Zoning Bylaw Renewal Initiative. I've been with the city for a number of years now, and I've worked in heritage preservation as well as implementing the 2018 Infill Roadmap. Awesome. It's great to have you on the podcast. So what about you, Lila? What's your background with the city of Edmonton? 
Hi, thanks. Um, super excited to be here. So um, I have been with the city since 2017 and I am the Director of Development Approvals and Inspections. So this is the team that uh, oversees and makes the decisions on the development permits. Um, we also issue business licenses and vehicle for hire licenses. <clears throat> and we also uh, oversee all the compliance activities relating to the zoning bylaw. Um, so it's kind of a big eclectic team and it's a lot of fun. And so with the new zoning bylaw, we're definitely figuring out new ways of doing things and figuring out the new rules and regulations as well. So it's going to be a fun year. Thank you both for being on a podcast here today. Allison and I are really excited to learn all there is to learn about the new zoning bylaw and what's to expect um, moving forward. But before we go there, uh, we just wanted to have you to answer this question that is essentially the basis of it all. Why renew in the first place? For us, it, we were very curious to find out uh, why did the city of Edmonton decide to um, renew the zoning bylaw and why now? So Edmonton's zoning bylaw really hadn't received a major overhaul in nearly 60 years. So it was about time. We're a modern city and we need more modern rules and regulations that better reflect where we're going with the city plan direction. So another problem is that zoning bylaw 12800 wasn't really working anymore. It was pretty complex. It was pretty outdated and it wasn't reflective of the development needs that we have today. And we saw an increase in direct control zones and subdivision and development appeal board appeals. And we were amending the bylaw almost constantly. So all that was evidence that we needed a change. How many amendments um, do you have? did you have to regularly work on uh, or did you have to do all that work yourself, Darby? Thankfully, it was not all me. <laughs> we have a really robust <laughs> team and I joined uh, the project team about a year and a half ago. So I got to jump in for the fun stuff. But at one point in time, prior to the Zoning Bylaw Renewal Initiative, there were upwards of 35, 40 reports going to Urban Planning Committee every year. So that just gives a little bit of a scope of how much we were changing it. Yeah, it's interesting that the, if there's that many changes being made to the zoning bylaw, then all of the staff have to catch up and learn what are the new regulations or what were the changes that were made to the zoning bylaw. So did that lead to more training for the staff to get up to speed on those changes? It certainly did. So um, one of the things that we really found was every single time that there was a change, we had a lot of implementation work to do. So our teams needed to be trained, our website needed to be updated, our internal um, application portal needed updating. And it was just this ongoing cycle of change. And it was even to the point where people would apply under one set of rules and then the rules would change. And so when their application was being reviewed, they might have to make changes to their application in order to get an approval. And so that constant cycle of change um, really added to our timelines because we weren't always focused on the actual review itself, but being caught up. And it also created challenges for applicants as well. So it was it was challenging for sure. So when um, when the staff at the city of Edmonton have uh, would learn how to um, you know use the bylaw in a new way um, with each and every amendment, what did that look like when the applicants were applying under a different understanding um, of these regulations? And what did it look like for the staff or the file planners when they were uh, potentially educating the applicants or the developers on uh, these changes? I think it depended on the change, to be perfectly honest, because sometimes the change might work out um, in the favor of the applicant in that they maybe didn't have um, a certain requirement on them anymore um, or that they could do something that previously they weren't allowed to do. Um, but other times the change might have imposed an additional level of consideration for them that they hadn't thought about. So it really just depended on the change. And so it was always nice when the change was something which made it maybe easier to apply. And then in that respect, there was perhaps less, less consideration, less training, less concern. But if it was more complicated or if it was something that was adding on to the regulations, that would be problematic. It must have been really challenging as well, Lila, before the city plan came into effect to continuously make amendments. 
but not have an up-to-date MDP or potentially an outdated MDP that you also had to align with at the time, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, Having the city plan be adopted, or even when it was in the process of um, being developed and we could see where we were um, going as a major city and what our vision was, that was a lot more, that that was incredibly helpful. Um, A good example is our open option project, uh, open option parking. That actually came before city plan was adopted and it came before zoning bylaw renewal. But it was able to be delivered because we knew that it was in line with what was coming through city plan. And it was in line with um, a lot of the bigger changes that we were wanting to make through the zoning bylaw renewal. Um, I think, Darby, you might want to add to that. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight that some of those changes, open option parking being a great example, have been carried forward in the new bylaw as well. So that work was really laying the foundations for us that we wanted to carry forward once the new bylaw was approved. You know, when we talk about city plan, one of the other things that I was thinking about that one of the overarching goals of of the of the plan is to create more equitable built forms throughout the city was that part of the consideration of the city when when the decision was made to renew the zoning bylaw as well Absolutely. Um, A big focus of our work was trying to support more equitable built form opportunities between redeveloping and developing areas of the city. And one of the big shifts that I think exemplifies that is the fact that we wanted to enable more housing everywhere. So the types of housing you might be able to see outside of the Hende might not look so different from the type that you would see within the Hende. And I know, uh, Darby, back when the zoning bylaw renewal just started, a big theme was essentially we shouldn't regulate the user, we should regulate the use. So I know a lot of um, those intricacies got taken out of the zoning bylaw. So it's, it's great to see, um, you know, this, this strategic direction towards equitable cities. Um, I really dig that for Edmonton. Yeah, it's really exciting work. And, you know, zoning is historically something that's used to control land use outcomes. But over time, unfortunately, there's been some discriminatory aspects of it. And so part of our work, we actually used the first of its kind GBA plus and equity toolkit when we were drafting our regulations to try to think about what are the potential negative externalities for different groups and how can we write our regulations and our bylaw as a whole to be more equitable. And I'll just jump in there, if you don't mind. What we found as we were going through this process is that it is really hard to change your practices and your way of thinking about things after it's been ingrained into your work practices for so many years. And so um, this uh, new approach to thinking really about the users and thinking, not the users, sorry, about the use and really thinking about what is the impact um, has been somewhat challenging at points to take on both internally and I think for the general public as a whole. And um, it's really interesting just to go through that process and think and see how it can be um, enacted out. And so some of the big changes that have occurred over the time where we're looking at no longer having like a, a you know, single detached zone, we now allow different uses across the whole of the city um, and increasing our density in those areas. But it's definitely come with a lot of change management and reconsidering impact and considering how we're going to function as a city going forward. And I'll just add that, you know, Edmonton is really a leader in this work. So there is no rule book for how to write an equitable zoning bylaw. We, we did our best to try to create this toolkit that would help us consider those regulations as we write. But we know that the bylaw is something that is a living document. It's going to continue to be amended in the future. And so it's going to take some time for us to see what the outcomes of that work are and where we can continue to build upon this path of producing more equitable built form. So here's a question for you, Darby. Um, You mentioned that Edmonton was a leader uh, in this work. So at the time, were there any other examples uh, or other precedents that the city was going off of when this was being written? And maybe this was a blank slate for the city of Edmonton. But I do realize that um, the zoning bylaw renewal team has been going for a while now. And the players and the team have changed. I know you have joined uh, and uh, perhaps you weren't there in the very beginning too, right? So it might be hard to, to get to the bottom of these origins. 
Well, actually, Edmonton is really a city that other cities are looking towards. Of course, in the beginning of our work, we did a lot of research and technical analysis, and that included jurisdictional scans to start to frame our philosophy for the new zoning bylaw. But it's really exciting to see other cities in Canada contacting us and saying, we want to learn more about these big changes that you're making here in Edmonton. Yeah, and I wanted to add to that, what's really interesting is like, when we started this journey with the zoning bylaw renewal, initially there was a lot of like discussion about like form based code and how we were going to evolve with that. But as we got into the project, the team really started to find that there was this equity lens and the examination of the uses and the zones. And that started to drive things a lot more than just form based code. And I think that's been a really neat part of the bylaw evolution as well. And I think it's something that a lot of other cities continue to come and ask us about, like, how did we get here? How have we been so bold to take on some of these bigger changes and to make these big leaps that oftentimes we were only maybe walking towards and now we're jumping towards these big changes? Yeah, I would agree. Edmonton, you know, I think is in sort of the Canadian and American context is is a real leader um, in city building. And I think part of that vision, especially for the zoning bylaw, starts at the very beginning, the sort of like big picture philosophy and vision for the project. And then that helps distill down, you know, the end product. So can you tell us a little bit about the vision for the zoning bylaw and the process to develop it? At the highest level, the city plan ultimately was the vision that was set. And when that was approved in 2020, we realized that we needed those regulations to support that vision. And so then we started thinking, okay, how can we approach this renewal? And so really at the baseline, we wanted to develop a more strategic, simplified and streamlined zoning bylaw that aligned all of our planning tools and that supported better built form outcomes and was ultimately more adaptable over time. We also wanted to make sure that we had a focus on creating more efficient service delivery. And so part of all of our work was rethinking what we regulate and why. And this resulted in a number of big shifts that ultimately we hoped will create greater efficiency in the way that we do our work, but also more consistent expectations for applicants as well as for community members who might see new development in their neighborhood. One of our really big shifts is that the new zoning bylaw contains fewer but more enabling zones and broader land use categories within those zones. So this approach is a lot more flexible, and it's one of the ways in which we're aiming to kind of future-proof that bylaw. Another big thing that we're doing is we're reducing the reliance on discretionary uses and shifting towards more permitted uses so that there's a greater range of activities that are permitted within a zone. Provided, of course, you know that they meet the regulations within it. I think that's a really important thing for our listeners to know is that shift to more permitted uses because it provides a lot more certainty, right? You know, these are the requirements that you have to meet for that particular permitted use, whereas with a discretionary use, well, there's more discretion, right? So it creates a lot less certainty. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more um, in later in our conversation, but that was one of the the key takeaways for me um, with the new zoning bylaw. I was just going to jump in. I think um, from the um, approval side of thing, um, our development planners are pretty excited about that because we have a set of regulations that we're going to follow and we aren't having to interpret very nuanced aspects of a proposal. And I think that that's going to um, improve timelines and create clarity and out in the outcomes that are delivered as well. So it's exciting to see that uh, that change being brought forward with this bylaw. Another thing that I know our development planners and applicants alike are excited about is the fact that our new zoning bylaw is a lot more user-friendly in our new online platform, and it's a lot more accessible for maybe people that aren't looking at it every single day, like those applicants and IDEA members. And so we've created more diagrams, more visuals, and our new online platform just makes it so much easier to get to know the regulations. 
Well, uh, Darby and Lila, I'm really excited to see how the new zoning bylaw is going to work to implement the vision of the city plan that you've just talked about. And I'm really looking forward to both for myself and your teams for less amendments um, moving forward <laughs> with the zoning bylaws. So um, it's going to be, uh, I think, uh, a win-win for both industry and uh, the city. So, okay, we we did talk about, you know, what uh, perpetuated this idea of creating a new um, zoning bylaw in the first place. We talked about your vision and philosophy. So let's talk about what happened from the time, um, you know, the, the team has started until now. It's been, what, five years in the making? Yes, it's been five years. And at times it feels like it's flown by. And other times, uh, I'm sure for everyone involved, it's felt like quite the the endeavor. And it really is. Uh we started back in 2018, and we actually built upon the engagement and the technical studies that were conducted for the city plan. So we started our engagement with alignment there. And all throughout, we've tried to make it easier for Edmontonians to participate by grouping together any sort of engagement opportunities we have, like with district planning, for example. So we've conducted tons of focused research, we've held community conversations, and of course we've had tons of public engagement, both online and in person. And we had tons of different stakeholders from diverse backgrounds there, and IDEA members were a part of that. So thank you. That's right. I remember um, at the time I was actually on IDEA's uh, policy committee, and uh, I remember there was quite a lot of engagement and review of the proposed policies happening uh, on IDEA's end. So it was all hands on deck, that's for sure. Absolutely. And it really needed to be to do this work and to have a bylaw that is successful, stakeholders really had to be involved from the very beginning. So they helped us to shape the philosophy and the direction of the initiative back in 2018. And as our work progressed and we began actually writing the bylaw, stakeholder feedback was used all along the way to inform how we developed and then ultimately how we refined our regulations and the final product that you see today. It's nice to hear that because I think a lot of times when we get to the end of the project, people think, oh, it's ready to go. And I feel like I haven't had time to engage, but it's just because they weren't necessarily, they didn't necessarily know what was happening at the beginning, right? But that engagement is happening throughout the entire process. And I think it's really important that people understand that that's, that's really key when you're developing a document like this for a city the size of Edmonton. It is. And, you know, zoning can not always be the easiest of topics to dive into. Uh, it's not the sexiest to hear about. I hope people listening to this podcast feel differently. But we <laughs> had to uh, look at some strategic and, and new and innovative ways to get Edmontonians excited about this change. And so we created uh, our own podcast, actually, uh, called Making Space. We created a series of city plan implementation videos. We got out into the community, you know, farmers markets and rec centers, and tried to make the topic of zoning a little bit more bite-sized and digestible to make sure that we were really hearing those diversity of perspectives. And I will say that I think a challenge that's always kind of inherent to planning and, and of a project of this size is how we're taking that stakeholder feedback and how we strike the balance between what we hear, our best practices, and the alignment with our strategic goals. Yeah, I I think that's really important to highlight that a lot of times translating that feedback into a regulation is really challenging. And um, it's challenging both to create a regulation out of it, but it's also challenging because there's often computing, competing viewpoints and competing outcomes and um, different expectations for that work. And one of the things as because I wasn't on the zoning bylaw team, but the work that they did very much impacts my team, um, was looking at how the team used their core philosophies to help make decisions as they went through um, and really kind of kept going back to that uh, philosophy uh, document and those strategic goals and outcomes that they had set to guide the work. And that was really helpful and really impressive because, again, I think I spoke earlier about like the challenge of change and taking on new ideas and how far are you going to go with something. Um, and so I just I think it was a really great way. Um, the philosophies 
guided that team both in taking the stakeholder input, but also in making and staying true to those original uh, principles that they set out. Yeah, on the topic of stakeholders, I know IDEA was really involved in the in the zoning bylaw renewal process right from the beginning. So what was it like working with the IDEA team throughout the development of the new zoning bylaw? Did either of you get to to collaborate with with the IDEA folks? We did. Uh, and it was super helpful to have IDEA members share their feedback along the way, particularly as we really got into uh, the nitty gritty of developing our regulations. Having some of the technical considerations raised to us by IDEA members, some examples of real world projects that would or would not work with those regulations was really helpful. And this was crucial to basically making sure we have a bylaw that works at the end of the day. And I would just jump in and just add that idea wasn't just there for the bylaw renewal project. You've been there before <laughs> through all those changes, um, yeah. <laughs> driving many of those changes forward as well, um, and just focusing on championing efficient and effective permitting outcomes. I'm sure that our time engaging with idea hasn't ended and just thinking about the future and what we might be able to work on going forward. Yeah, I mean, the renewal will officially conclude this March, but we know that our work isn't quite done and that we're going to continue to collaborate with our stakeholders and really support them through that transition to the new bylaw. So uh, with the renewal initiative concluding in March, what kind of work is left to accomplish? Because we are um, heading into February now. The zoning bylaws approved. Um, as far as I know, we are working on some amendments, or sorry, the city's working on some amendments throughout the next year, um, working on some reports or white papers um, or what have you. So yes, what's uh, what's happening uh, until March? Yeah, so the zoning bylaw, you know, it is a living document. It will be amended in the future. And we are going to begin that with two omnibus amendments happening in 2024. We have two uh, on the books. And right now we're really collecting feedback from applicants, from community members, as well as our internal staff to figure out, are there any spots that right off the get-go, we might need to make some some minor adjustments. We're looking for errors. We're looking for, uh, honestly, sometimes it's a typo because when you rewrite an entire bylaw, it's bound to happen. But feedback and amendments aside, a lot of our work leading up until March is really just supporting Edmontonians as well as our internal staff with that transition to the new bylaw. So we have some community and industry education plans that we're implementing at the moment to help our stakeholders understand the key changes in the bylaw and how it might impact them. And we're also supporting staff and applicants as applications come in, because we know that there's going to be a role for the zoning bylaw team to play to help with interpretation and looking at how these projects are fitting into the new regulations. And finally, you know, we're setting ourselves up for the future. So we are currently working on a new interactive zoning map that will be launching later this year. So you can stay tuned for that. And we're developing a monitoring plan. So in addition to the feedback that we're getting from stakeholders on what they might find in the bylaw, we're going to be looking at other indicators over the next year and a half or so to understand whether or not we're actually meeting those metrics that we set out at the, at the onset. Sounds like a good plan, Darby. And um, I am very excited for the forthcoming interactive zoning map. Um, I really love working in Slim Maps, so I, I can't imagine what you've got cooking up um, on your run there. If there's any demo or beta uh, version maps available for the industry, please send them over my way <laughs> and Allison's way too. But um, more pressing of a question is actually the zoning bylaw team. So with the work concluding in March, I understand that before it was a zoning bylaw renewal team, but the team is going to continue to keep going under a different name and uh, continue to do work, um, I guess, indefinitely. Yeah, that's correct. So there was a zoning bylaw team before the renewal and we'll still be here afterwards as well. Uh, we got a number of subsequent motions from council at public hearing, We've been asked to look at affordable housing, climate, heritage preservation. And so a lot of our work in 2024 and 2025 is going to be in response to those motions. 
And then, you know, we have other projects throughout the corporation that we will continue to support. A climate change planning and development framework is in the works. And again, wanting to respond to how the bylaw is working, those amendments will happen at at some point. And so we'll be bringing forward a one-year review of the bylaw in Q2 of 2025. Yeah, thanks, Darby. I was wondering sort of what the the bylaw team would be focusing on over the next year. And um, I'm excited to see some of the outcomes from the subsequent motions from council and, and just see how that plays out over the next year. So now that we've talked about the sort of the background and the vision of how we got here, let's actually get into the nitty gritty and start talking about the, the zoning bylaw. So the first thing that we wanted to chat about was what were the high level sort of big, big shift changes um, in the new zoning bylaw? And, you know, particularly we're thinking in the infill context um, on this podcast. I think the biggest shifts that IDEA members will be interested in are those that will support more housing in the redeveloping neighborhoods, as well as those shifts that are really intended to create more complete communities where Edmontonians have access to the types of amenities and services that they need right in their neighborhood. So in addition to you know reducing the total number of uses, allowing a broader range of uses, we've combined many different housing types into a single residential use, and we've reduced the number of residential zones pretty substantially in order to support that more incremental density. And so previously, while you might have had to go from RF1 to RF3 to get that row house, now all of those housing types are permitted under the small scale zone. You know, I think going back to the conversation we had earlier about creating more equity in our city, I think that's really one of the key the key ways that we get there is allowing more types of residential uses without having to rezone. It provides so much more flexibility. And I think it's really important, um, you know, when we go back to city plan and the goal within city plan to increase density within the existing um, footprint of our city, this changes is a huge step forward to, to achieving that goal. It is. And it also creates that certainty that a lot of people were looking for, where when a rezoning was coming through, you weren't quite sure um, what the changes would be. And there was a long process and it's going to reduce the costs and the timelines as well, which will be really beneficial. And it's all part of that philosophy of focusing on the use and the impact and defining what an appropriate level of impact is for the area. And it's not really focused on you know, how there's a division of a unit or um, the style of the unit. And all of this is going to help improve our timelines and outcomes. And it's going to allow people in those neighborhoods a better understanding of what's coming. And uh, I think all of that is just going to be a lot better for our whole community. Um, you know, talking about reducing bar- barriers and creating flexibility to create more equity in our in our city, um, I'm wondering what the updates to you know discretionary uses were in these new residential zones, and um, where discretionary use regulations uh, or just their use has that been changed in the new zoning bylaw in a way to uh, promote equity. We've significantly reduced discretionary uses in the new zoning bylaw. However, we've maintained them in our river valley and natural area zones. And a big part of that is to enhance that uh, protection of the river valley and ensure that development planners are referencing any appropriate uh, plans to those areas. But as a whole, you know, discretionary uses have always resulted in longer timelines and less transparent and predictable decision making, not just for the applicant, but also for the neighbors that are wondering what might be built next door. So by shifting towards more permitted uses, we're creating that certainty that Lila was talking about in terms of outcomes and what might be expected while providing a little bit of that flexibility. You know, we're shaping the box, but what you can do inside it you now have some more options. And, you know, this isn't a free-for-all. I think sometimes there was some concern and fear about what might be coming to our neighborhoods, but we've made sure that we've included specific development regulations where uses previously were discretionary to make sure that we're still controlling for any potential land use impacts that those uses might generate. It's a really important point, Darby. It's not a free-for-all. And if you aren't able to meet those regulations, then you become 
uh, use with a variance. And then you do go through that prolonged timeline um, where we're going out and asking for input. So I think it's really important to recognize that that defining of regulation is an important part of making sure that you meet those regulations in order to uh, be able to still achieve that timeline. Sorry, that was very awkwardly worded. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Yeah, it does provide that um, certainty to applicants and also to the neighbors. And um, we're really excited to have that certainty written into the bylaw. No, I, I think it's an important part to bring up. And then, you know, for our listeners to know is if you're going to apply for a permitted use and then you do decide to vary one of the regulations that's applicable for that permitted use, now you you have a variance. And then that means that your application can be appealed, right? So there's still that mechanism when there is a change that deviates from the zoning bylaw, there's that appeal process in place, you know, if somebody chooses to go go down that path. Correct. And again, the appeal process allows our um, neighbors to then come in and state some of their ideas and perhaps their concerns or support for the development. So it isn't taking away the voice of the neighbor. Yeah, we we heard, you know, that working with community is really important or will be really important for IDEA members and other builders and developers to consider as we're moving towards this new bylaw. You uh, really want to think about the, the neighborhood that you're going into when you're picking your projects. So considering what those potential impacts to community might be, adjusting your design, sharing those designs with the neighbors, trying to involve them in the process as much as possible is always great best practices. And I, I think um, for, for for the context that we're discussing this in, a lot of these people may have smaller parcels with, and they may be landowners or you know, small time developers who would greatly benefit from having these certainties or knowing these uncertainties because someone is um, spending an X amount of their salary going through, you know, getting all these soft cost processes done, um, getting planners involved, getting all of this done. And uh, it must be very nerve wracking if you're, you know, you're a landowner, you're not a developer, and you're going through this entire process through a discretionary use and you're the entire time you don't know 100% whether or not it's going to get approved. Yeah, I think it, you know, that's that piece of it. It provides more certainty, right? As well as a more streamlined process. So when we, the framework is set up, this is what we want to allow. And there's more flexibility now for folks, you know, in the in the RS zone to be able to build a variety of housing types. Well, since we're um, on the topic of um, housing um, and residential zones that you've mentioned, Darby, the RS zone, I really want to dig into, you know, some more details about the new residential zones under the new uh, bylaw. I, I really, yeah, want to continue to discuss the RS zone. Are there any exciting or insightful points from there you'd like to share with us? Yeah, one thing I'll, I'm realizing now is that, you know, new zoning bylaw, new acronyms. So RS zone is short for our small-scale residential zone. The small-scale residential zone is intended for use in Edmonton's redeveloping areas. So that's anything within the Henday. A few highlights of this zone that IDEA members will probably be excited about is that we have a new maximum height of 10.5 meters, and we heard that this was really crucial to start to welcome some of those new housing types that we want to see in this zone. And another big shift is that within the zone, you will now see a greater range of housing types. So we'll have the single detached homes, but also row housing or small-scale apartments, cluster housing, backyard housing. And once again, just want to outline that, you know, we're still controlling for what that built form looks like at the end of the day. People hear small scale apartments and they get a little freaked out because it doesn't quite resonate with them at the moment. But we're still making sure that we're controlling for those built form outcomes through things like maximum height and setbacks. Another exciting thing about the RS zone is that we've also permitted more commercial and community uses, so childcare, for example, to support residents with living locally. So with the, with the new RS zone, um, Lila, I'm actually wondering what kind of impacts does that have on housing affordability? Well, affordability is a bit of a, um, a challenging concept to 
place. But what we do know is that this new bylaw will enable a range of diverse um, housing types. And that should um, open up our neighborhoods to more Edmontonians um, as we are developing different housing styles and types. And so we're really excited about that key change. And I think just smaller impacts is that by reducing the timelines to get to those um, decisions and reducing the timelines that add on to the build, we should see some um, positive impacts to affordability as in it should be less expensive to actually develop in Edmonton because there are reduced timelines. You know, in terms of like time, faster timelines and and reducing red tape and, and eliminating some of the complexity that was in the previous uh, zoning bylaw, I know one of the major changes was retiring the mature neighborhood overlay. So Darby, can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, that was a big shift. The mature neighborhood overlay, you know, it only applied to certain areas when our city plan geographies changed. It really didn't align with our new vision of growth in our redeveloping areas. So through the zoning bylaw renewal, we made the choice to retire the overlay. However, there were a number of regulations within it that still provided a lot of value. And so those were actually integrated right into the zones to support more contextually sensitive redevelopment. So IRS sounds like it is... um the highlight uh, for the infill community to, you know, the highlight zone for the infill community to hear about. Um, I wanted to also touch base with you about the mixed use zone. So Darby or Lila, do you have um, any highlights for the IDEA members about any of those? Well, not having mixed use zones was a big gap in the previous zoning bylaw. So we're very excited to have two new mixed use zones as a part of the new bylaw. One, our mixed-use zone, which allows for more higher-tensity development within that nodes and corridors network. And then the neighborhood mixed-use zone, which also might be a highlight for IDEA members because it's really supporting uh, those local nodes, bringing services and amenities closer to residents. I think that's a really important piece as we continue our city building process. You know, with city plan, we want to increase density within the existing city boundary, provide more housing types, all of those things. And part of that is we need services and amenities that are close by. So I see that that the neighborhood mixed use zone, I think, will be a great zone to sort of allow for those smaller scale um, commercial areas that, you know, we used to have in a lot of neighborhoods, but have gone away. So hopefully we start to see a resurgence of that in the years to come. So with the introduction of these new zones, the mixed use zones that you just mentioned, and, you know, uh, potential forthcoming amendments that are going to happen for the new zoning bylaw, and not to mention the work that's undergoing for district planning, there's just a lot of transitioning happening for Edmontonians right now. I can continue to say, uh, both Allison and I, how excited we are and how much we've been looking forward to, to seeing this. This is major transition is happening and, and shifting the way we build our cities. We're also a little bit worried. Should we expect delays with new forthcoming applications? Uh, what are our industry members you know, going to be affected by all of this? What's happening there? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, It's been top of our mind throughout this whole bylaw renewal, and we've really focused on how we're going to have that transition piece. Um, But we're also really focused on our um, past work where we've set service levels um, to guide how long it typically takes for an application to go through the process. And right now we are committed to achieving those same service levels that we had set out in zoning bylaw 12800. Our goal and expectation is that these service levels will actually be reduced over time, Um, but kind of exactly as you pointed out, Lilith, it's a big period of change. And so we are working through the bylaw and it may take us, you know, a bit of time to figure out uh, certain outcomes and expectations. But the big goal is to have reduced service levels. And You know, we say that because, again, and we've talked about this a little bit, um, having a bylaw that is clearer in its outcomes, that has more uh, opportunities within a single use and within a single zone, all of that should enable an easier decision and easier application and create clarity both from the applicant and from the neighbor and for the person reviewing the file. Um, And I think the other thing is, is that when the bylaw was being written, we were thinking about 
automation. And so um, we have already automated some permit types and we're working to expand the automation um, of other permit types going forward. So right now we're actually testing out greenfield house permit automations. And um, our goal is that as we build these programs, they will continue to grow and cover other housing types across the city as well, which of course is beneficial for timelines. In regards to the Greenfield house permit automation, is there anything planned on the infill side of things or is the focus just working on that now um, within the context of the new zoning bylaw? I knew you were going to ask that, Allison. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, infill and our timelines are always top of mind. And so right now, the house permit automation is focused on Greenfield. However, we do hope as the program grows and we learn more that we will be able to extend that to other permit types, including infill in some shape or manner. The other important thing is that our infill timelines are now aligned with what we previously offered under the expedited infill program. So the 20 days for a review. And that reflects all of these changes that have gone into the bylaw and um, that consistency and set expectations and outcomes. And then the other um, thing that I would note is that with the reduced number of zones, one of the big areas that we think will really impact infill is that there won't be a need to um, rezone those lower density zones, like the RS zone now captures so much more um, and captures those uh, development types that you used to have to rezone to an RF3. So there's some really big cost and time savings associated with that, with these changes and infill development is going to benefit from that. Um, and Lila, the expedited program that you just mentioned, is that the one that the city of Edmonton was working on training industry members with IDEA? Absolutely. Yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's great to see progress in that sense. Yes. And it, and I think I was just going to say, you know, um, IDEA, you know, brought forward that program. And I think it's been beneficial for, for your members. And you see those timelines change. And it's just a good indication of how industry and groups like IDEA really work with the city to create change. So and I'll just add for our listeners that even though the expedited permit process has been retired with the new zoning bylaw, the education program still exists and IDEA is continuing to offer that. So if you're interested in taking that program, you can check out IDEA's website for more information on that. Or listen to our episode with Nicholas because uh, we talked to him about that. <laughs> So uh, for all the listeners, Allison actually took that program. And if you have any questions about it, you can email her and ask her about it. <laughs> she'll, she'll tell you how it went. Um, but I kind of want to backtrack a little bit to uh, when you mentioned the Greenfield automation process that was happening. Um, as someone who works in um, the Greenfield areas a lot, I'm actually really curious to find out uh, what that's all about. Sure. So... Now, this new program that we're currently um, building and testing and rolling out, um, applicants log into the online application portal and they um, enter in the details of their development and they upload their plans. And the program is set up to verify the information that they have submitted against the regulations of the zone. And um, the applicants will have to certify that they are entering the right info. And from there, um, the end goal is that if everything aligns, a permit can be issued. Right now, because we're building the program, our development planners are reviewing each application and making sure that what's going into the system is um, appropriate and is being approved accordingly. Um, and then going forward, we'll set up a system kind of like what we had in the past where um, random applications will be audited um, just to make sure that the system is robust and that we are um, ensuring accountability in the process. So we're really excited by it. And again, we appear to be leaders <laughs> in this area of work. And so it is it is a lot of fun to work at the city. We are tasked and challenged to continually innovate. And um, I'm always impressed with the ideas and the way that our teams take that innovation on. Sort of on a broader scale and a more like high level view of the permit process, 
Um, I know we've just been talking about the automation, but are there any changes just generally to the development permit application process with the adoption of the new zoning bylaw? Um, not really to the process, no, um, just because that whole, um, the whole development permit application review process isn't prescribed in the zoning bylaw. Um, but there are some specific highlights that um, many of your members will probably want to know. So lot grading plans are required now for backyard housing. And um, in the past, they weren't required for a garden suite. And so this is going to be a bit of a change for some of the members. The other thing to know is that with the retirement of the mature neighborhood overlay, um, things like block face and neighboring window information are no longer required. And those are some things that used to really trip our applicants up and add to some timelines. And then another key change is that a request for variance is now required. So this is a justification letter and there is a variance fee. And this fee is equivalent to 25% of the base fee for the application. Okay, so with the with the fee for the variance, is that an additional fee per variance or how is that calculated when there's more than one variance for a particular development permit application? Yeah, so right now the fee is for any variance and by that I mean there's only one fee. So we're not going to add and add and add if you have multiple variances. Um, we're going to monitor this and see how this fee um, is implemented and what are the outcomes. And if we need to make some adjustments, we will. And we've talked a lot about this variance fee and what it really helps to reflect is that a lot of time and energy went into developing this new bylaw. And we set out some very um, set and expected outcomes. And we would like to see those outcomes achieved with our applications. Again, it goes back to that um, certainty that our neighbors are looking for as well. But we recognize variances are a fact of life. The bylaw can't anticipate every single lot size shape consideration. And um, having a variance isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does require more resource to review and to make a decision. And we wanted to reflect that in our fee model. Um, and I think just, and we talked a little bit about this previously, a variance does open the application up to an appeal. And so that will add to timelines as well for any application that does have a um, variance on it. Um, but I think that generally covers the majority of like the changes that our applicants will be faced with when they're applying for their permit right now. Yeah, that's great. I think that will be helpful for our listeners. And, you know, I think going back to the earlier part of our conversation, I think moving towards more permitted uses and creating more flexibility in the zoning bylaw, hopefully more people can, you know, build what they envision on their site without having to to request a whole bunch of variances. And I'm interested to see over the next year or two with the monitoring that the city will be doing is, is where are you seeing people requesting variances um, within the new regulations? And then that might give an idea of how that, that particular zone or those particular regulations are working. Yeah, and that's actually a piece of work that we have done in the past, and it really helped inform where we needed to start making some changes. Is were we seeing a lot of variance requests, and did we holistically support that variance request? Did we feel that the variance request should stay as a variance? And so I think that that work will continue in the in the coming years. Yeah, yeah, because I think sometimes people think, oh, variance is a bad thing, but if you have like the same variance being requested in multiple uh, for multiple applications over and over, it's a symptom that there's something there's something happening there. So then it's nice to know that when you were updating the new zoning bylaw, you were thinking about what, what how what have been the development trends and the variance trends in the past ten years. And I'll just add from the zoning bylaw team side that a monitoring plan is a big part of our work moving forward. So we are going to be looking at data over the first year of the new zoning bylaw being in effect. And we're actually going to bring forward a one-year update report in Q2 2025. Um, and Darby, is that monitoring uh, plan and those reports, are they going to be available to industry members or the public? Uh, and maybe we can get some insight on what's happening uh, in industry as well? So the monitoring plan, we have our internal documents, of course, which uh, we'll use to guide our work, but we are going to be reporting back on 
what that monitoring framework looks like, while industry members, as well as our community stakeholders, are actually going to be a part of that monitoring work. That's great. I'm looking forward to potentially being involved in this process and hopefully IDEA will have a chance and IDEA's members will have a chance to be involved in the monitoring process as well. And I'm sure there's still room to figure out what what that involvement will look like. So, well, I'm really excited that we actually had a chance to have both of you, um, Lila and Darby, on the podcast today to give us a little bit more of an insight on the origin story and the more higher level look on how the policies and regulations were drafted and also looking at the implementation piece and how this is going to affect um, the industry members and the public too. So I know we've all talked a lot and we've learned a lot about the, the new zoning bylaw and what that's going to look like uh, moving forward. But I wanted to also give the two of you some airtime and ask you if uh, you have any last plugs or anything exciting you wanted to mention for us um, or the listeners. Thank you for having us and thank you for participating all along the Zoning Ballot Renewal Initiative. We know that, you know, there's going to be some questions and maybe some uncertainty as we transition, but just know that as the zoning bylaw team and Lila's team, we're here to help you. And we've actually created a lot of resources on our new website, which is edmonton.ca slash zoning bylaw, that are intended to support members as well as Edmontonians with understanding the new bylaw and those changes. So we definitely encourage you to check them out. Yeah, I would add that from a permitting perspective, well, from all perspectives, I guess, our teams are here to help. And we really do recommend that you set up a pre-application meeting to help go over your project, identify any potential challenges that you may face in advance. And this all helps move your permit through the system efficiently. We recommend that you monitor your application once you've submitted it and respond to any requests for information in as prompt a manner as possible. And that helps to improve your timeline. And I'll just close with a big thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Um, We've laughed a lot and I have really enjoyed being able to talk about the work that we've done and the collaboration so far, because I think it's a really good way to reflect on all the amazing work that's happened in Edmonton and how it's going to shape our community going forward. So thank you for that. That's uh, that's great, Lila. We certainly have laughed a lot during this episode and we probably queued up about 10 minutes worth of bloopers in the background, but we will keep those uh, audio files secret uh, for ourselves in the future. But yes, those are great plugs to make and for the listeners to know, know about. Thanks, Lilith. There's a couple of other um, plugs that we wanted to make as well. So the IDEA and the City of Edmonton are collaborating on an event on February 6th. It's the Cityscape Luncheon Series, um, and it'll be held at Habitat Studio. So Chelsea Jurisak of Situate is going to be the moderator, and Travis Pollock from the City of Edmonton will be the speaker, and he'll be sharing his expertise on the importance of the zoning bylaw and city plan and how the new zoning bylaw can really unlock the potential of city plan. Um, so there will be a Q&A session as part of um, that series to answer questions from IDEA members. So call out for IDEA members if you have questions, send them to info at infilledmonton.com. And then the other event is a Q&A webinar that's going to be held on February 15th. And the zoning bylaw team is going to be available to answer questions during that webinar. So if you go to the luncheon series on February 6th and your question doesn't get answered, you might have a second opportunity if you attend that webinar on the 15th. That's great. Uh, Darby and Lila, you've actually proactively have answered the question that Allison and I were going to ask you. Uh, What is your call to action to our listeners? So thanks for being so proactive about this. Yeah, thanks to both of you for coming on the episode. It was really great to chat with you about the zoning bylaw. We really appreciate all the time that you've taken to spend with us today. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. It's been great. So that was quite a conversation we had with Darby and Lila. It was great to have both of them talk to us because one uh, was able to give us 
a perspective on the zoning bylaw team and the more high-level vision-oriented topics uh, and questions we had for them. And the other had more uh, of an insight on the implementation level of things as well as approvals. I don't know about you, um, Alison, but my favorite part was hearing all about all the residential zone changes, how now there are fewer zones, they're more flexible, and I'm excited to see, you know, what that means once we, you know, start submitting these applications to the city. Yeah, I do think that's one of the highlights of the new zoning bylaw um, is the consolidation of the zones and just creating more flexibility in our city and sort of related to that is also the change in the definition for residential use. It's now a lot more broad and includes more housing types. And really, you know, at the beginning of the podcast when we were doing the intro and you were talking about the GBA plus toolkit and how that was used for the development of the zoning bylaw, I think this is a really key piece of that, right? So by allowing more flexibility with the housing types, it's an opportunity to create more equity um, in our housing across the city. Yeah, totally agreed on there, Allison. And uh, another thing that I thought was great is that Darby and Lila actually gave us uh, links to various resources that they refer to throughout the podcast. So those are going to be linked in the description um, of the podcast for this episode. So if anyone's interested in finding out more about what's happening with the new zoning bylaw, uh, please check that out. Awesome. Thanks, Lilith. Um, So what's been going on in your world? We usually do a little catch up at the end of our episodes. Um, So what's been happening? Uh, Yeah, you and I are so busy uh, outside of this podcast that we actually never have time to to catch up on our own time. So we're going to use the podcast as our um, as our platform to catch up. I don't know if I mentioned this in the previous episodes, but uh, the winter edition of Plan Canada came out. So for those of you who don't know, Plan Canada is the a Canadian national planning magazine uh, that is published by Canadian Institute of Planners. I was lucky enough to be featured in the winter edition that talks about retail spaces. And my article was based on my trip to Halifax for the a CIP conference last summer, and I really got to learn a lot about their retail scene, especially at the waterfront. So if anyone um, is subscribed, please check out the article and uh, let me know what you think. Other than that, I've just been having such a grand time watching the Oilers just win game after game. At the time of this recording, they are at 14 wins in a row, um, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Hopefully, I did not just jinx them, but we'll see. What about uh, you, Allison? Well, this is a very unpopular opinion, but I do not care about the Edmonton Oilers at all. So I'm sure some of our listeners will hear that and then judge me, but that's okay. I'm glad that you're excited <laughs> about it. Um, I, yeah, not, not, not my jam. I will happily go to a game if somebody asks me, but it's not something that I follow on a regular basis. Um, but I know that a lot of Edmontonians and a lot of Albertans do. So I'm happy for, for all of the fans who are, just enjoying this this little winning streak that, streak that they're on. Um, but yeah, sort of on a, on a winter-related topic, one of the things that I'm excited about is that it finally snowed in Edmonton. Um, and I think now that there's probably enough snow to go snowshoeing, um, which is something that I typically do a lot during the winter. So I'm hoping to get out there this weekend and do that. But I have to find a new location because most of the time I usually go to Horlack Park. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And for any listener that doesn't know, Horlack Park is currently closed because it's being redone. Um, so I need to find another snowshoeing location that's relatively close to my house. I don't know if there are any, but there must be some major trails running through through the River Valley. I I know I walked around uh, Mill Creek uh, about last winter and, you know, the ground is pretty thin, but maybe if you go off off the trail in between the trees, there'll be something there for you. Riverside Golf Course actually builds cross-country ski trails and then you can also snowshoe around there. So I've gone there, but I know Rundle Park and and some of the other parks like further east in Edmonton have places where Mm -hmm. um, you can snowshoe. So I'll probably end up going there. 
And then fun thing that's coming up, which I think will still be on when this podcast comes, this episode comes out, is the Flying Canoe Festival that happens in Mill Creek Park. And when you mentioned Mill Creek Park, that reminded me of that. So I think it will be sort of the last couple of days of the festival. So if you, ha- if anyone hasn't gone to it before, I would highly recommend it. It's always a great festival to visit in the winter. That's awesome. Thanks for the reminder. And I guess there are a lot of um, a lot of winter festivals that happen in Edmonton. I know there's the Deep Freeze. There's like two or three others, uh, probably the one you mentioned. But uh, yeah, usually it's too cold for me to go out. But um, we've been having a, a nice warm winter so far. Um, I'm except for like that two week streak of of minus forty. <laughs> yes, even I am not happy to be outside when it's that cold, and I don't mind winter that much. <laughs> Well, I hope all of our listeners can have a, a chance to at least check out one of those festivals. You know, we are we are known as the festival city. So, you know, um, let's do what we're known for. I guess that wraps up our episode for today. So I just wanted to say that for our listeners, you can find IDEA at infilledmonton.com, uh, Instagram and Twitter at infilledmonton, as well as on Facebook at infilleyeg. And the podcast episodes are on the IDEA website. Um, You can also subscribe uh, to In Development wherever you get your podcasts. So we're on all sorts of various platforms. Uh, We also have a dedicated podcast email now. So if you have any ideas for topics you'd like to hear about or guests, send us your thoughts at podcast at infilledmonton.com. Thanks for listening. My name is Allison. And my name is Lilith. Catch you next time.